Let us pray. Father, we are indeed a needy people. You know it, and we know it as well. Father, from every side, we are choked with things that distract us and by things that confound us. And there are many things that lead us away from you. Father, in our weakness, we are prone to wander. We are prone to doubt. We are prone to sin against you and one another. And Father, we need your mercy to live as people of your possession. And so Father, I pray as we come to you this afternoon that you would reign in our minds and deliver us from the temporal things of this earth and prepare us for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. BBC reported this few weeks back. Billionaire Jeff Bezos had made a short journey to space in the first crewed flight of his rocket ship, New Shepard. He traveled in a capsule with the biggest windows flown in space, offering stunning views of the Earth. When the capsule touched back down after 10 minutes, 10 second flight, Jeff Bezos exclaimed, best day ever. It is not just Jeff Bezos, but there are many millionaires and billionaires who are in the pursuit of their ambitions and dreams to feel at some point or the other the best day ever experience. While people are in the pursuit of the best days on this earth, there is a day coming when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is coming to judge the people. Knowing this, people do respond in different ways. Knowing that Christ can return any moment can cause or bring out many emotions. For some, it might make them nervous. For some, it might be one that is of joy. For some, it might be fear. For some, it might mean full of excitement. And for some, it means nothing. For most, it might just be for the here and the now, making the best of the time. Those, those are the feelings that are caused because of the doctrine of imminency of Christ, the return of Christ, the doctrine that Christ will return next and that, and that nothing can hold him back except the timing of his Father. And therefore, you and I should await anxiously and with excitement. Our text this morning will give us a picture of Christ, and it will show it has two different meanings to two different groups of people, those who know him and those who do not, and particularly the unrighteous oppressor and the oppressed believer. And yes, we as Christians, we as the body of Christ here at Grace Church have been going through trials of various kinds. So my prayer as we study this text is that we will be reminded that this is not the end. Christ is coming. The judge will judge rightly. And we have a hope. Meanwhile, these trials, in addition to what we have studied in the previous chapters about trials, we learned that God is sovereign. 
that God is using those trials to conform us into men and women he wants us to be. In addition, to, we, we know that we can enjoy that through them because they are momentary and light. And in addition to that, we know that they are small compared to the cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he has made and how he, how he will come again to judge. And in addition to that, we also know that God puts trials in our lives to make us hope for the future. God puts troubles in our lives today to drive us to focus to not on the present circumstances, but on what will come. When the judge comes, when the kingdom is enacted, and when the new heavens and the new earth are made and recreated, we will be there. And so considering these truths, and in light of the text that is before us this afternoon, let me ask you this question. Do you live for today or for tomorrow? And we will begin chapter 5, James chapter 5, and we will look through verses 1 through 6. And we will see the response of the unrighteous. Now, James uses a very specific group here in chapter 5, verse 1, when he says, Come now, you rich. Now, before we dive into the text before us, let me clear this up. Who are this rich that James is talking about here? That will be our first point. Who are the rich? These are wealthy men and these are unbelievers. We know that because of the way that they have acted, what they are doing with the wealth that they have. They have no heart for giving any of their riches, but they accumulate and hoard it to themselves. They serve money rather than God. They are rich men who are unbelieving and oppressing. James here is writing to the believers about the unbelievers, about the rich. And so in his text, James writes, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. How is James defining the rich here? I think it will be helpful for us to see that from the context of James's letter. James has often talked about rich several times. And we look at the rich as a class, as a people, as a category of human beings, then we can know what he means when he calls the rich to listen to what he's going to tell them. So if you are to look back with me to the first page of this letter in James chapter 1, you will notice that he says that the rich pass away in verses 10 and 11. They pass away like the flower of the grass. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. It flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The rich man is pursuing something and that something will fade away and he will fade away with it. James mentions a few more times about the rich, and it is in this negative and godless terms. We can see that in chapter 2 as well. Chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The rich oppress Christians and drag them into courts. It is the rich who blaspheme the honorable name by which Christians are called. So you see here, the rich are not simply defined by their money, but they are defined by their pursuits by how they treat others and by not seeing their need for God. They have all that they need, but they do not feel their need for God. 
And in chapter 3, we see rich are marked by a form of worldly wisdom, a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It is the rich in chapter 4 who are the friends with the world. They are marked by worldliness, and this worldliness is enmity with God. And so the rich are not just affluent people, but they are enemies of God. So friends, by this definition, I see many in this country have all that they need and see no need for God. And sometimes it is possible that we in the church who act and live like this. So it is good for us to understand who are the rich. I think James also gets this concept from Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had much to say about the rich and to the rich. He spoke to them directly many times because Jesus viewed that self-confident, self-reliant person will be self-indulgent and the self-indulgent person will be, in essence, be a man who is separate from God. It is the pride and arrogance that is at the heart of sin. I can I will live. I live by my own standard. I govern my own life. I take care of myself, me, myself, and I. Friends, is it possible that you're gradually, slowly turning out to be this kind of rich man, proud man, who doesn't see the need of God? A good test, evaluate yourself today. Do you just live for today or tomorrow? Or do you live your life considering Jesus and your life in Him for eternity? And so in our first point, we have seen who are the rich. They're self-made, self-confident, self-reliant, self-indulgent men who do not feel their need for God. That is who James is addressing here in this text. And let us now see what James says to them we see here is that he's going to warn them of the coming judgment. In verse 1, as we continue, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You see, it is not wrong to just be rich, but here the rich are to weep and howl. Why? Because of their wickedness, because of what they do with their money. James speaks about the miseries that will come upon them. So he's clearly speaking about what? the final judgment. He is talking about hell, the future miseries, not the present miseries. Right now, they are living luxuriously. They are not miserable. They are, in fact, the happiest people on earth, having everything that they will need and want at their footsteps. Yes, they are not feeling miserable now. They are experiencing the abundance of life, but misery is coming. You are laughing now, James says. You're enjoying yourself now, but you need to be really weeping and howling. And so James gives four indictments against the rich. He, he gives four accusations. And this is where we will spend the bulk of our time this afternoon. Consider this as our second point. And so as we are looking at these indictments or accusations, we will see what it means for the unbelieving rich and then what it means for us as Christians. James gives four reasons because of which they will be judged by God. So let's look at verses 2 and 3 as we will see the first reason they will be judged by God. It says, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. 
your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid a pressure in the last days. James is very much like an Old Testament prophet here. He looks at the riches in the perspective of the day of judgment. And so you see the first indictment, James is saying that the unbelieving rich have loved their money. And the result of loving their money is that their treasure is evidence against them and their treasure will destroy them. What we see in the teaching of Jesus and here is the concept of laying up treasure for the sake of one's own pleasure and security. They were hoarding riches. So the picture is that these people were piling up treasure to the point that it is starting to rot. They were hoarding it to their own purposes instead of blessing others. But the only thing that they are truly hoarding are, or they are truly accumulating is the wrath of God. He's saying the junk that you are accumulating is evidence against you. Their corrosion will be evidence against the rich. He says there, they will eat your flesh like fire and will bring you judgment. By living like this, they have laid up treasures in these last days. The seeking of the best day here on earth will lead them to the last day where they will stand guilty because of the evidence of the corroded treasures. Now in some sense, this is not true for most of us. We are probably not like this unbelieving rich. Then how do we apply this if we do not qualify as this godless rich people? Maybe it is something less, not so blatant and obvious. Maybe it is something less extreme than what has James described here. The external and excessive sins of this rich people are quite clear and quite despicable. Wouldn't you agree? I think most of us here condemn this kind of behavior. Yet, if we look into our own hearts, we will see the shadows of it. We will see the seeds of it. We will see these things creeping up in our own hearts. The rich love their money, but too often, even well-meaning Christians, when we look at other people, we judge others as successful based on the car they drive, the home they own, the clothes they wear, the job they have. And by doing that, we exalt riches. We love money and what money can buy, and we hold that as the measure of the success in this life. The hopes of our hearts are indicative of what we really love. Friends, even well-meaning Christians can fall into this trap of hoping that their children will live the rags-to-riches dreams, having a successful career, being settled in their lives as good people. But what if we really hope that our children give their lives away for the gospel? Or have we subtly fallen into this trap of good, pleasant life for here and now as a measure of success? And another way you can know that you are not hurting for the sake of it is by assessing if you are giving freely, often, 
and wanting nothing in return. In fact, consider just for a moment how much you give away to the Lord or to others in need. Do you really give? Or mostly, do you hold back what God has given to you? Do you give out out of compulsion or obligation? Or do you give cheerfully as an evidence of the overflow of your joy in Christ? So first, the rich were treasuring or hoarding. And secondly, they were defrauding the poor. The second indictment or accusation in verse 4 is that they were guilty of fraud. It says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who moved your fields, which you kept by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So James says, these people were holding back the wages that they are owed to their workers. He says that those who mowed their fields, they were holding back the wages by fraud. So for most of you here in UAE, this makes sense. There are few here who relate to this very clearly. Most of us get paid on time, but there are here people who are not paid on time, and their wages have been kept by fraud. Delay in salary for two months. Delay in salary for three months, for six months. The end of service has not been given to you, and you are wrongfully terminated. You are threatened to bear the loss of pay if you do not oblige to the company's policies. And I understand that is sad and hard for you to go through like that. And this was a similar kind of situation we see here. We receive salaries that are monthly, but during those days, they used to live by daily wages. They lived one day at a time. They needed to be paid daily to make ends meet. And here these rich landowners were defrauding their workers. The workers were working the whole day, and probably in the evening, they were told, come back tomorrow. You can see how this is outrageous. They are literally robbing. These wealthy people are robbing these poor people of the very thing they need to feed their families in a daily basis. This was in direct violation of the law of God, which Pastor Will read for us this afternoon from Leviticus. Leviticus 19 verse 13. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. It is cruel taking advantage of a poor person who is not able to defend himself. It is abusing someone who cannot stop you. And in Leviticus 19 verse 14, the Lord takes it seriously. He says the reason not to do all these things is that they should fear God. And he says, I am the Lord. And here in verse 4, James writes that the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That is a significant phrase. That the cries of the harvesters reached God's ears. 
in the Old Testament, when the people cry out to the Lord, they are asking for deliverance from danger or oppression. We see that in Exodus chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And there are a lot of examples in the Old Testament where we see this kind of language. The point is, when you mistreat someone and defraud them, you think you are doing that in private. You may think that is a transaction between the two of you. But the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies of heaven, he sees. He knows what the oppressor is doing. And he knows what the oppressed are going through. The cries of the oppressed reach his ears. And so these wealthy people have made themselves a very powerful enemy. Now, brothers and sisters, maybe there are not many among us who abuse their power to oppress the weak, but I'm sure there are quite a few who are being robbed of your hard-earned wages. Brothers and sisters, Take comfort that the Lord of hosts has heard your cries. Our God is a zealous God, a good God, and a righteous God, and He will give to the rich what they deserve. There is hope for you, my friend, even though you might not find justice now, but the ones who oppress you will stand before the judge, our Lord Jesus Christ, on the last day. And that day is coming. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He is a God of justice. And take heart, my brother, and endure for Christ's sake, my sister. For you will have a glorious treasure in heaven for you. Our God takes personally the way people treat each other. We cannot think that we can oppress other people and have it gone unnoticed or unrewarded by God. And so as Christians, we must be fair honest in all our dealings, particularly with respect to financial matters. We do not have the right to defraud others. We do not have the right to withhold what we owe. We do not have the right to hoard our wealth. And people who do such things earn God's righteous anger. Each one of us is storing up treasure. The question is that we need to ask ourselves is with the things that God has given to us, how will they look like before a judge? Will they serve as evidence for you or against you? The third accusation or the reason how, why these people will be judged is because they were being extremely self-indulgent. Look there in verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury, and in self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts in, in a day of slaughter. Literally, it means that they were living softly. So for their wealthy, self-indulgent ones, it was all about them, living a life of self-satisfaction and luxury. 
And look how it ends. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You are like the fattened calf ready for a sacrifice. These are not righteous men. These rich people, instead of seeing what is coming and doing something about it, are fattening themselves. They are making themselves even more suited to the terrible fate that is coming. Now we might see this and think in disgust, why would they ever live like that? This is so godless. But before that, if we are to really look at our own monthly bank statements, would it paint a picture of spending all our money on ourselves? And not just on the things that we need, but I wonder if we are not self-indulgent, even though in a small and moderate way, since we are not excessive like the rich, but I think it is still good to ask, is this okay? Surely, we can be called to repentance this morning from the fact that we constantly spend money in buying frivolous things that make ourselves look better, so that we can be more comfortable, so that we can have more leisure, so that we can impress more people. It is not the same to what is described here, but it can be self-indulgent all the same. And the final indictment in verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. How did they murder? We are not sure. It could have occurred in many ways. Denying them their wage could bring them about their death through starvation. Paying off courts could bring them condemnation in death and imprisonment. Some of them will simply have them taken out so that they will stop being a problem demanding their wages. But you see the irony here? The language you have condemned. But when there is an evidence piling up against them in the way that they are storing their wealth, but they are the people who are condemning the righteous person. Now think of it for a moment about your boss who is not paying you on time. And he's probably hoarding. He's defrauding you. And then, how does this righteous person respond? In the end of verse 6, he does not resist you. Now think for a moment. Your boss is not paying you, and he is cheating you, and he's delaying your salaries, and on top of it, he's scolding you every day when you come to work, and he's yelling at you, and he's saying you're good for nothing. And what is this righteous person doing? He does not resist him. See, they are acting righteously. They are doing as the New Testament commands. He has done nothing to offend. They are doing nothing to stop all of this oppression. But these wealthy people keep taking, keep defrauding, keep condemning, keep murdering. So the problem of these people was that they were not wealthy per se. The problem is how they got their money and what they did with it. They have made themselves rich by fraud. They have hoarded themselves with wealth. And so, if you look at the big picture of what James is saying, the real problem was that they were not rich towards God. Jesus told many stories about the rich. And one is particularly helpful for us to understand who are the rich. 
when he talks about the rich man, where Jesus was addressing a large crowds of thousands, it says, and he told them that they be careful and guard against covetousness because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So let's look at Luke 12 for a moment. Jesus tells a story about a rich man who had all the possessions that he wanted. And in fact, as he looked out into his fields, he saw it was overflowing with crops. And he didn't know what to do. And he was so proud of himself of what he had accomplished. As a successful businessman, he said, I am going to tear down barns and put up big ones to hold all my wealth. And in Luke 12, verse 19, it says... This is what he's saying to himself. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, drink, be merry. Rest in the abundance of your riches. Take it easy, self-made man. It is okay to pamper yourself. And Jesus tells the story and he says in verse 20, God says something to this rich man. And he says, fool. Now, that is the last thing you will call a rich man. He must be doing something right, and that is why he has so many riches. How can he be fool? Rich, successful, influential person in our communities, fools. But God calls this rich man a fool. This night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, who will they be? And Jesus turns from the story and gives the people this word of wisdom. We need to hear this. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, there are two kinds of rich people. Those who are rich and of themselves with earthly possessions and those who are rich toward God. This is a powerful way of putting it. Everyone wants to be rich. We have to ask ourselves, rich in what way? We can be rich in terms to bank account and not be rich toward God. So there is a kind of wealth that is not really wealth at all. That is why in the end of verse 3, which I think is at the heart of this matter, it says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. The idea is that you are, each and every one of us, and the people that James is addressing here, are living in a time where immediately after this is going to be judgment. This ends for all of us in one of two ways. Either Jesus comes back or we die. At that point, you will be judged for the way you will live your life. And so James here is outraged. He says, given that is true, you have laid up treasure for last days. He's talking about things that moth eat. Things that corrode. He says, you have laid a pressure in the last days. There is a crisis and you need to be prepared. And the opposite is happening here. So friends, are we striving day and night to accumulate treasures on earth instead of being rich toward God? Money can make us feel that the life on earth is better so much so that we get comfortable with this earth that we lose the heavenly perspective. You and I, we are all living in the last days. We will most certainly face God in judgment. And so all of wealth and all of our stuff is dangerous because it has the power to blind us and numb us to that fact that we will face God in judgment. You can look around your comfortable home. You can look at your nice car 
You can look at your loving wife and children and your warm clothes and good health and think, I'm okay, I'm doing all right. Friends, but Bible says, you are most definitely not okay, that none of us are okay. Without God, we are not okay. So for, for my non-Christian friend, we are thankful that you are here. But you wa- if you want to understand further what it means to be rich toward God, please come and talk to me after the service. Without his grace, we are nothing. And so James says, there is a day of misery coming for each and every one of us. There is a day when we will face a holy God against whom you have rebelled. So let me tell you this, beloved. This is not just reserved for those who are generally wealthy. This is not just for the people who drive the SUVs and above, but it is for all of us. And finally, though James never says this in the text, but this text points to true riches. The very fact that he is condemning false riches, this points to true riches. And those true riches are found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is James saying here is, while the godless rich invest their lives laying up a treasure that is worthless and rotting, it is destructive against them. But if you will invest your life in the gospel, friends, it will do us eternal good. Because Jesus Christ is treasure, true treasure of life. He is the pearl of a great price that we can sell everything to get Christ. Think about this. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are no longer headed for judgment. You have already been judged at the cross. You have already been found guilty of yourself, self-indulgent, and you have already been forgiven and set free. That is what Paul said in Romans 8, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus did on the cross through the resurrection from the grave, we are now secure. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He is the one true righteous man who did not resist even to the point of being condemned, even to the point of being murdered for our sake. Even though he was rich, he did not use his riches to condemn us and judge us, but in his mercy, he gave his life for us. We have not invested in a scam by believing this truth. We are not getting an insurance policy, but you have, through the gospel, received true riches of Christ. You are heirs with Christ, but because of this good news, your riches are not being accumulated in heaven out of selfish gain. Because of Christ, you have not obtained these riches out of fraud, but by the finished work of the Lamb, the righteous Lamb, you are accumulating these treasures in heaven. And you receive this freely by His grace, and it is not your doing. So be encouraged, my friends, and live for His glory. Live to do good and be generous. For the rich of the world, they seek the pleasure in having 
the best days of their lives kind of experience here on earth. But for us, us who have been saved by Christ, in Christ, even though here we are going through trials of various kinds, we are storing up treasure for the best day ever when Christ will return. There will come a day when all the wrongs will be righted, when justice will be enacted, when all the problems of this world based in depravity will be reversed because this world is filled with hurt, hunger, war, sickness, death, oppressive governments, persecutions, and fallen relationships. Our lives are filled with trials and tribulations and they are not unexpected. Jesus told us, that in this life, we will have many tribulations and broken relationships. But we have a hope. Christ will come and he will make all things right. And John describes how that might look for us in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. May God give us grace to trust in these glorious truths and live for his glory, enduring trials of various kinds. Let me pray. Father, we marvel at the finished work of Christ. We marvel at Jesus, the true righteous one, who for our sake became poor, who did not resist the revilings of evil men, but, but, but endured it for our sake so that we can now be your possession. So Father, help us to understand that in Christ we have amazing riches and there is nothing lacking in our lives. Help us, Father, to fix our minds on the things that are above and endure during our time in this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.